everybody. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. I'm Lori Rudiman, and we're just getting into it today. I've got my BFF, Jennifer McClure, here. She needs no introduction. Ah, everybody go to jennifermcclure.net, blah, blah, blah. Jen, how you doing? I'm doing great, laurierudiman.com. How are you? <laughs> Fantastic. This is one of our BFF chats, and I think I want to get started, first of all, by welcoming you to Punk Rock HR, because you told me you've never been on this iteration of the podcast before. How can that be true? I have not. I have not. I want to be on every iteration of the Laurie Rudiman brand. So <laughs> if I just hang around for a few months and then ask to be on, then that should work Buckle just fine. up, lady. <laughs> 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 well, I'm so glad you're on today because I want to talk about how the world is changing, how your world is changing. And let's pick up where we last left off, which is at the beginning of the year, you had made some decisions about your life. And you were putting your house on the market and you did that. You sold your home. But why don't I shut up? Why don't you tell me more about selling your house in a pandemic? Yeah, I think, you know, I was trying to remember we did this last BFF chat, I think around, yeah, the end of the year. And I probably should go back and listen to that because it's always so fun. But I'm sure I was saying something to the effect of what I've been saying for the last 10 or 15 years. You know, I really want to sell my house someday. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's time, you know, blah, blah, blah. And lo and behold, in late December, or maybe it had happened our last chat, just had been driving by an apartment building on the way to the barn to see my horses for years. Well, it's been here built 18 months ago and put it on my little task list. And I started calling once a month because they were full. And I said, you know, I'm just going to call once a month until they have them available. And I called in December and she's like, oh, we have one available. It's available like next week. And I'm like, well, that was too (laughs) soon. Uh, (laughs) But I came here anyway and just sat there and talked with her for a while. And she just happened to offhand mention that another unit was coming up in March. And I'm like, I want that one. And I'm just so grateful. I mean, to have sold my house I think it's like a lot of things. And, you know, obviously these chats are for you and I to have fun, but hopefully to share some learnings. And the big takeaway for me from all of that is sometimes the constraints are pushing ourselves are what really makes things happen. Because I've been saying literally for 15 years, I wanted to sell my house. (laughs) And just to anybody and everybody offering it for free and offering it, you know, give people the keys with the furniture in it and all that. And until I actually had to make a decision and sign an agreement that then pushed me to get it ready in a week and a half, which was the whole hang up about selling it in the first place. I didn't want, I didn't want to clean up my clutter. But you know what? It took me like a day and a half to do it once I got started and then paid somebody to clean up the garage clutter. And he did an amazing job. And I was like, why didn't I do that before? And put it on the market. And I said, good timing before pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah but just uh, it, it barely before COVID. Yeah. Well, it literally sold in two days. Signed the closing on the day that I live in Ohio and the day that the state orders for stay at home were put in place. Got moved into my apartment, got half of a couch delivered to sit on (laughs) and was able to buckle down for, you know, to stay indoors. And I just am so grateful. I'm so happy. So the takeaway for people is if there's something you've been saying for a long time to do, either first do it or find a way to make it where you can't say no, that you've got to do it. Well, I think your takeaway is really interesting because, you know, for the 10 years that I've known you, I've been like, let me come over and let me help you with your clutter. Let me do this for you. Let me hire somebody. And you've been like, nah, nah, nah. And you actually had to do it for yourself, which I think is a good lesson for a friend out there that you actually don't need me 
to do stuff for you. You just need me to shut up and listen (laughs) and you'll do it on your schedule when you're ready. And hopefully I wasn't too pushy all these years, but when you finally made the decision to have this happen and it all fell into place, I mean, like a gift from the heavens with the timing, it was interesting to see how your local community also swooped into place. You know, people who you normally just interact with at the barn stepped up. Mm -hmm. People in your life came out of all different corners and really volunteered. And I'm so grateful for that too, because I'm a friend who's far away from you. So I was just pleased that all aspects of this came together. Yeah. And I think another takeaway for me, what I think I shared with you at the time was a friend of mine at the barn where I ride. She's actually the mom of a young girl who rides a horse there. And she just sent me a text and said, I'm coming over today to help you. She didn't give me an option to say no, which I would have said. And in the end, I was really grateful, number one, for her help. It took a day and a half to really get things in the closets and, you know, whatever gone through only because Robin came to help. And so that was a takeaway for me that when you know someone needs help, if you had been here, you would have done the same if you were local. But when you know someone needs help or even with my mom, which we might talk about in a minute and some of her health challenges, people just did things. They didn't say, would it be okay? Or can I help you? If you know somebody needs help, you're almost, I can't think of many times where someone would be resentful that you just go ahead and do it. And again, if Robin had asked me if she could come over and help, I would have said, oh, it's okay. No, yeah, I know I what you would this. have said. Yeah. <laughs> but instead she said, what time am I coming over? Because I am coming. And she did. And she actually came three times and she brought somebody with her, made somebody come with her the third time. She didn't give them an option. She said, we're going to Jennifer's house. You're going to help. Oh my goodness. And so I'm grateful for that. And I think it's a lesson for me with the people that I love and care about to just do things. Don't ask. I love that. You were settled in your home for like maybe 24, 36 hours. I don't know how long you can tell (laughs) the story. And then your mom became sick. So what happened? Yeah. So again, closed on my house March 16th. I had kind of moved things into my apartment in dribs and drabs the week before that. Really kind of, you know, it was, it's like a lot of things in our lives. I'm like, ah, it's a new life. It's a new day. The 2020 is going to be great. <laughs> Got this, I'm going to make this office, home office. It's just going to be amazing. I'm going to go buy all the things. And, you know, I had all these big plans and my mom started having some health challenges. She's in Tennessee and I usually talk to her at least once a week. And she just mentioned, you know, that she wasn't feeling well. And then that turned into, I could tell she wasn't feeling well. And then that turned into, she's really hurting. And again, all of this was happening mid-March when, you know, the the coronavirus was really starting to take hold in the U.S. and everything was shutting down. So where normally it would have been, let's get you to a doctor and get you checked out. This was non-COVID related for her health issue. I'm staying away from her. My brother, who's a physician, was staying away from her. She has a farm manager that stops buying checks on her every day. And he had, I think, you know, very wisely, his wife's a nurse. And he had told her, he said, I'm not going to be coming by, you know, so we're all trying to do the right thing and stay away. Meanwhile, she's getting worse and worse. And so finally, on March 30th, a friend I had reached out to, one of her good friends, a friend of mine as well, locally, who kind of treats her like a second mom or her her mom. She had offered to take her to the doctor's appointment that I had gotten arranged for her. And then she took her back for a follow-up. And instead, she knew she was hurting so bad. She just said, I'm taking you to the hospital and we're going to get you admitted for surgery. And so she called me at like 11 o'clock and said, your mom's been admitted. She's going to have surgery this afternoon. You need to come down. 
So I literally pulled, you know, my big travel suitcases that come out like <laughs> once a year. I went to my refrigerator and I dumped everything in one big suitcase. I packed enough clothes for two or three days, not knowing how long I was going to stay. And I ended up staying for 26 yeah. days to take care of my mom in Tennessee. So left my house within an hour and a half and, you know, lots of blessings in that. Ultimately, my mother did get a couple of surgeries and is doing very well now and was grateful for the time to be able to spend with her and help her then. But it was, you know, again, I didn't know that I hadn't been exposed with all of the moving and people coming in and out of my house. And so to think that I might be going to a person who's already compromised and potentially take the virus to her was really disconcerting. During this process, the one thing I noticed is that So I'll just say it, being around your mother during a crisis really gets you in a, and would get anybody in a reflective state of being, plus you're in your childhood home, plus there's a pandemic. And what I really felt so strongly is that I just wish I could have been there with you to like hug you and hold you because you were feeling your feelings. So what was that like? (laughs) What were you going through when you were down there? Because man, Jennifer, it felt like an emotional journey just from the outside. Well, it was in a lot of ways. Again, you know, so much change that I had just been through personally, which was all heading in a positive direction. And then, you know, again, we we talked about my mother, but I'm a full-time professional speaker. My job is to travel and to be on stages at big events. And that's what I absolutely love to do. And so meanwhile, while I'm moving on March the 6th, I get my first email from a keynote that I had just booked, thanks to a referral from you, Laurie, because it was a global event with global attendees. So they can't And then it was just boom, boom, boom. Within two weeks, my whole entire year went to zero. And so, you know, the Jennifer that's the coach of other leaders and, you know, the encourager of people knows the advice that I would need to give myself, which is, okay, life is not over. This is a big change. You need to figure out how to address this and what you're going to do. And you can do this. But then to be thrown into, as you said, kind of my mother is a very active, you know, vibrant human who is very well loved in her community. But yet I grew up on a family farm that's out in the middle of nowhere. Love that about it. You know, no neighbors for miles. And it's not a community of people surrounding her home. And she has no, she has very weak internet and only 15 gigabytes or whatever on her little hotspot. So you you were really isolated. Yeah. Yeah. Take somebody whose job is to be out in the world and loves and and March, April, May is typically one of the busiest times of the year, and then September, October, November. And so I'm like getting ready to go to India and getting ready to go to speak to people at a global conference and getting ready to go to New Zealand and really excited about some of those things. And then to go to the land of no internet (laughs) and the land of no cable TV. She doesn't watch TV. God bless her. So she has like the local channels and she does have dish. So I finally found CNN. So that was the only thing I could watch. So I'm watching this coronavirus updates every night after she goes to bed. So yeah, I got my feelings because I didn't really have the ability, both because I was needed to care for her, to cook, to clean, to do the things that she did for me all of my life and, and loves doing for the most part. This was literally, you know, Larry, I mentioned to you, I I'm 56 years old, although I told somebody I was 57 last week. So I guess the senility... Hey, don't rush, Jennifer. You'll be 57 someday. (laughs) At the time, I was 55 when I was there caring for my mom. And so in 55 years, I think I've cooked maybe one meal in the house because my mom's very protective of her kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) And 
I have stayed by myself in that house once overnight when she was in the hospital a couple of years ago for double pneumonia and I came down for that. So the first night I got there, they did keep her in the hospital. So it was the second night again, we've lived there since I was 10, so 45 years that I'd stayed there by myself. And I love it because it's isolated. But then when you think about, oh, I'm here all by myself in the middle of nowhere. So long answer to your question. Yes, I got yeah, in my feelings. Yeah. My job changed. My world changed. My access to community changed. And I'm caring for somebody who is normally the person that's caring for me and everybody else. Yeah. The story ends well, at least aspects of it, because your mom is feeling better. I wonder, you talked about some of the takeaways from your move. I mean, it's interesting that you were in a role where you would normally coach people. It's interesting that you were in the role of caregiver to your mother, because a lot of your clients are also in that role as well. So I just wonder, what are some things you learned about yourself? What are some of the things you took away from that experience? And what are you doing differently now, having been through that with your mom? I've learned that as I would tell somebody else, you can do hard things. Oh, you did hard things. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I am not, you know, for all the things that I am, a caregiver, physical caregiver to someone would not be anything that probably would have been on my <laughs> LinkedIn profile. Well, you, wait, wait, wait. You're a caregiver to animals. I think everybody has their... their to humans, yes. yes, to humans. So to, you know, again, be leaving in a, an hour and a half at a, a moment's notice, I had not seen my own son who is 28 years old for a couple of months, partly because he's busy and I'm busy and then the virus hit and we were both again trying to protect others and each other. And so he had not been even to see my new apartment at the time. And so I called him and said, I'm going to bring by my keys to my apartment. Got to go take care of my mom so you can come get my mail. And so dropped by and he came outside and I was already in tears, just crying, just like, I'm, you know, I'm going to take care of her. She's coming home from surgery. What happens if something goes wrong? And my 28-year-old son coached me. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, mom, you will be given the strength to do what you need to do. You will be able to do this. You got this. And so I thought it was kind of uh, how we come full circle that Andy, who's not normally very coaching (laughs) (laughs) of his mother in that moment of my own little crisis, you know, really kind of took the leadership role in my own family and said, you you can't. But wait, I want to stop right there because that is an important lesson. I, you know, I've always heard the phrase, God doesn't give you anything that you can't handle. I do not believe that at all. But I do believe we have the capacity to do great things, hard things. And you clearly demonstrated that. You took care of your mom. And I remember you calling me and saying all sorts of things like, I've never done this. I've never had this experience. And guess what, Jennifer, you had it, you got through it and you did it with grace and dignity and you made your mom feel safe. So after I left Andy's coaching and brought myself back up on the road, I called you hands-free and cried to you <laughs> that I didn't think I was going to... And you said, you can do this. So, you know, but I'm used to you doing this. <laughs> well, I mean, you know. So yeah, I think, you know, what I learned was for people that we love and sometimes for people that, you know, maybe we don't love, but we have to care for them either as leaders in our organization or maybe their family members. And I have some of that in my own family where, you know, there are broken relationships, but when people need help, people do step up. And, you know, those are some things that are not my story to tell, but again, some of the biggest takeaways that I've seen in my life of of the capacity for people when they're needed to step up and care for someone who maybe has not even been kind to them 
that we as humans can do hard things and the blessing is there in some way, in some form when we do that, whether it's, you know, my mom, again, you talked to her yesterday and she's itching because she can't see people. You know, she goes to the grocery store, gets excited about that, where it used to be, that was my life. That's okay. That's my exposure to people for the week. I'm good. Now mother's like, I went to the grocery store this week and I said, well, mother, you know, we can't have some of those things delivered. She said, Jennifer, I need to see people. I know. I would be so <laughs> mad though, if y'all go through this and then she gets sick with coronavirus. I mean, that would just make me furious. So we can't have her get sick. really mad. None of us no. can get sick. That's that's the rule. It's just infuriating. So. Well, all right. You made it through that. You're back at your apartment full time. And all that stuff that you should have been doing, right? I'm using air quotes while you were taking care of your mom, now comes full circle, right? You've got speaking things to recover from and try to reprogram. You've got Disrupt HR stuff building. You've just got work that's piling up and you don't even have an office. What's going on at your apartment? Well, I think, you know, things change. You know, we kind of say before it was like, I'm going to make this like everything I ever dreamed of. And now it's kind of like, Ikea furniture will do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's just make it functional. Like right behind me, you know, Laura, you can see me on video. That's where a bookcase will eventually go. It's a beautiful space. Yeah. Meanwhile, the books are in the floor, but it's back to, you know, sometimes you just need to be wise. Well, I'm grateful that I have provision to be able to kind of think about how to uh, resurrect my business and what to do. I think all of us have to be wise. I kind of joke with people that, you know, I try to stay off of social media just, you know, obviously to be working and be productive for wait, the most wait, part during the day. Wait, when do you stay off social media? Come on now. During the day, you got to <laughs> let me finish. <laughs> during the daytime, there's time in the evening. So I stay off during the day and I look out my window, which now I look over a park, a beautiful park that again, I've driven by for years and I think I saw like two people in, but since the virus has hit, it's like full of hundreds of people all day. So I look out at this park, there's dogs, there's people playing. And so I, I kind of get this today it's sunny and it's like, oh, life is good and things are coming back to normal. And then I record the news every night and I watch the news about nine o'clock and I'm scrolling through social media at the same time. I'm like, no, no, things no, are not better. It's no. worse than ever. And that phrase is... <laughs> so somewhere in between that is the reality. And that phrase that we're all doing right now, I learned it the other day, you may know it, is doom scrolling. We're going through our stuff and just focusing on the negative or at least seeing the negative because that's what's being thrown at us. I have a whole Twitter list of the you negative. Do. You've got the doom scrolling <laughs> column. So you've come back to this world where you've got a new apartment. Your whole life is kind of new. And by the way, your apartment is like a hotel. So I love that. I can't wait to see it. It's great. Laurie's always said that I'm, I like to stay in nice hotel rooms and, go, and sleep. And I'm like, I keep saying, yeah, I like this hotel. I've never lived. I mean, I lived in apartments in college and when I first you know, got married, but they were never in this kind of like downtown urban setting where I'm on a third floor overlooking a park. So it does feel like I'm in a I hotel. It. I can't wait for room service to show up with champagne and cheese. It's going to be awesome. I can't either. I cannot. <laughs> all right. All right. Although the Domino's lady, the Domino's lady would not get in the elevator with me the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame her. She got her mask on. And she's, I was like, do you want to get in? She's like, no. Uh, you know what? Safety <laughs> first. I agree with that. So you're rebooting, right? You're in the rebooting of the reboot phase and you've got a new coach to help you think about this. But I have to preface this by saying you were going and doing some great work, even at your mom's house on your newsletter, and then it just stopped. So take us through that. For the three people, one of which is my mother, <laughs> the other is Lori, and the other is Mike Sibble Jr., who have said they've been 
my newsletter. Mike Sipple Jr., <laughs> always a shout out for that guy. Our biggest fans, absolutely. Actually, there were at least one other people that I... But yeah, I think while I was there, because I was limited you know, to so much internet usage a day and really did talk about burnout and overwhelm, I think I was already there. And I think if you listen back to our last BFF chat, you know, part of what we talked about that I was implementing a weekly Sabbath, not necessarily a religious-based thing, but a, you know, a rest day of doing nothing because I felt my brain was fried. So to go there and to have it fried in the other aspects of life, I was trying to recover. You know, okay, so life is not over in the big scheme of things, because my business went from hero to zero in two weeks. But yet I have to do some things not only to stay, quote, relevant, you know, if you want to use that word, but also what am I going to do in the interim, however long that is before live events can resume and to maintain and build a brand that when live events resume, I will be the obvious choice for a stage. And so while I had few brain cells to really allocate to that, I thought, well, you know, I've been talking about communicating regularly with my community of people via email for a while. So why not? And so for the first four or five weeks, I shared a story every week with a takeaway and really tried to be helpful to my list and got a lot of great feedback from people that were enjoying them and found them valuable. Wait, I have to say this. I love your writing and I know it's hard for you, or at least not hard, but just sometimes difficult to allocate the time on your schedule. But I met you through writing. I fell in love with you through writing. And when you write on a newsletter, I'm like, oh, there's my girl. There she is. So I was so (laughs) excited. I was prepared for impact. Like I was ready to go. (laughs) And then it just stopped. Yes, but like with most things that just stop, there's a bigger story that we may or may not cover all of it in the podcast, but I will share and be vulnerable and authentic (laughs) to, to pull up some good buzzwords for your audience as a way of, number one, probably aligning with you to say you're not alone, people in the audience and community, Hilarious community, and number two, to say I'm on a journey right along there with you. So newsletter's going great. I made it back to Cincinnati. I think I did one or two after I got here. And then I had called it Prepare for Impact because my podcast is called Impact Makers. And I'm thinking about impact at work and in life and helping people build careers that they love and live lives that matter. And just, it came to me while I was sitting there in my mom's house that Prepare for Impact could be the name of my newsletter. And I was so, I think I was energized because I was kind of like, felt like I was stepping into my purpose. You know, that, that's that been a Achilles heel for me all along. It's like, how do I talk about what I do and how do I help people and prepare for impact for me seems to be divinely inspired and it fit and I was able to step into it. <laughs> and then I'm sitting here on my couch one day consuming content from other people that I admire. And I really, I still don't know how this happened. Just a person that I admire and I follow reading their weekly newsletter and across the top of their newsletter, I see prepare for impact. (laughs) You're laughing. Well, it's not like that individual created prepare for impact. Like, no, but I was so excited. You cannot believe how internally excited I was that I felt like prepare for impact encapsulated what I was about as a speaker, as a coach. I'm helping leaders prepare for impact. And then to see it on someone else that I followed since their beginning as well. And my first thought, like everybody's thoughts, is this person stole that from me. <laughs> How dare oh they? My God. And then half a second later after that, 
I remember I'm kind of like, oh, it's all coming back to me now. I think I've seen this on this person's communication before. And so then I went back a few and I'm like, yeah, it's been there. <laughs> I would say if you're worried about this, so Jennifer, this was the advice I gave to you. Number one, don't be worried about it. Two people can prepare you for impact in this world. And number two, steal it, make it yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, you know, again, I'm human people. So those of you that are either like, why is she continuing to talk about this? Or you're laughing at me. This is for both of you. Yeah. I was my, again, my first thought was this person stole from me. <laughs> the second was actually no, they did it. My third thought, because I'm competitive, was I can take it and make it mine. <laughs> I am now in a competition with this friend of mine, that person that, you know, I With a, another good human being. I'm going to take his life. And I was him, like yeah. looking at all the places online to see if it was available, you know, and so I was going to, for two seconds, so half a second, I was mad and sad and then I figured out I, I was the one that were probably wrong. And then the two seconds I was like, I can take it. And then I'm like, you know, again, there are better ways probably to describe what I do. So the next newsletter will probably be called Prepare for Impact Still. But, you know, it, it kind of sent me on. I don't know that that was why, but it, it really sent me into a little bit of a funk because I'm like, I think it is important. It's not required, but I think it is important for particularly business owners, individual solopreneurs, coaches, authors, thought leaders, speakers like myself, you do need to kind of have a core purpose. And while I've lived my purpose and my brand for 10 years and it's worked, I've struggled with how to talk about what I do to people who don't know me or don't follow me. I think to know me and to follow me is to love me. <laughs> but if I meet you and you're like, Jennifer, what do you do? I'm always like, ah. And yet I teach this, you know, it's, it's the classic, I, I can teach you how to do it, but I've struggled myself. And so I felt like, okay, it's time, you know, just as when I made the transition from the corporate world in 2005, six, I hired a coach, you know, I was like, yeah, I mean, I've read resumes. I could write my own, I'm sure. I've interviewed hundreds of thousands of people probably. I can certainly interview, but it would behoove me to work with someone who can hold me accountable and keep me on track. And I think that was a great decision then because it ultimately changed the trajectory of my career because I did it the right way using a process with somebody there guiding me and holding me accountable. So when I got in my little funk over prepared for impact, I kind of said the same thing okay, yeah, I have, you know, a business that is hero to zero, but the right thing to do is to probably invest in myself and in my business during this time. You know, it's one thing to say, I need to create content. I need to remain relevant. I need to have thoughts and share them. It's another thing to say, while everybody else maybe is scrambling, maybe now's the time to invest, to certainly do all those things. And so I am a big fan of Donald Miller and his story brand process. And I've actually used that and kind of done a self-paced version of the story brand process. If you want to go to, I think it's storybrand.co. Yeah, we'll include a link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, include a link. And there's a book, a best-selling book on the story brand process. But I know that process works. And again, I've done it myself. And I thought, you know, back to the coach example, I want somebody to help me with this process so that I can finally get to the point where I can say what I do with confidence to people who don't know me. So sitting here in my little office overlooking the park, I just Googled story brand coach. And the very first, I don't know, I'm not a Google expert, so I don't know if it takes into account location, but the very first person that popped up, Angie Schultz is her name. 
and she lives not too far from me. I didn't even notice that though. I looked up her LinkedIn profile after I hired her because I was so like, I'm like, I'm taking action. Yeah, this is happening. Storybrand coach, her. Angie Schultz. <laughs> and she followed the Storybrand coach on her website. And one of the Storybrand things is having a clear call to action. And the clear call to action was book a 30 minute call. And I just hit that button and I booked a 30 minute call because that didn't cost me anything to have a call. And then I looked her up on LinkedIn and I'm like, she's just down the road. So I decided that's how good marketing SEO works, I guess. When I did talk to her, clearly she has been, you know, she's a story brand certified guide. She's a story certified coach. And again, I felt like I needed someone to guide me through the process. So we are in the final stages. I did hire her. I appreciate the work that she's done so far. And I expect that that will help me. And again, I'm not wired like everybody else. But for me, part of my newsletter, again, was it's wrong to think that the people who've signed up to hear from me don't want to hear from me. Wait, wait, say (laughs) that again. It's wrong to think that they don't want, it is wrong to think that they don't want to hear from you. We absolutely want to say it's wrong. Because they signed up to hear from me, you know, and they still do. Every week, people are still signing up every week. But I am so protective of my own inbox, as I'm sure many people are. I'm always like, you know, I don't want to just send a weekly letter just to be sending a weekly letter. I want to add value or not send it at all. And so to add value, I really need to know, in my mind, what I'm helping people with. And I have some clarity around that. But again, how do I say that? So while I can write a good story every week and I can share a good takeaway, and again, I got good feedback about that. Of course, you know, every week some people unsubscribe because they're like, who is this again? Right, right. <laughs> but that's the nature of having an email community. I really wanted to be able to say, these are the three things that I help people with. And so my weekly letters need to be helping people in one of those three things or all of those three things, or maybe sometimes I just share a story, but not for the purpose of just getting in your inbox every week. So there's a lot in that comment and feeling, but the reality is I value my community and the people who do follow me or learn from me. And I'm trying really hard to be wise and judicious with how I communicate with them. And hopefully that story brand coaching process and this time to kind of regroup in a lot of ways for a lot of people. And we're going to talk about you here in a minute to see what you've learned. But I think for a lot of people, you know, we'll look back on this time at some point. You know, I look back on again, 2005, six, when I had been fired and let go and hired a coach and took a whole different direction in my career. And, you know, I will tell you, that's one of the best things that ever happened to me, all of that. And I feel like, you know, maybe it won't take 10 years, but we'll look back on this time many of us and say, there were good things that came out of that. I don't know that we'll say all of it was great, but you know, there were either some pause or more, you know, like I said, I look out on this park and there's families out there every night with the dog and the, you know, the kids are playing ball. And the other night, these people brought a whole badminton set, but no nets. And it was wind, like 30 mile an hour winds. And I was just laughing because <laughs> every time they hit the badminton, it just blew away. And I'm like, but they're having family time, you know, <laughs> before the pandemic, you know, those people would have probably all all been out shopping or I just didn't see those same people out. So I think a lot of good things will come. And I'm hoping that one of the good things I'll look back on is that I got real clarity around who I am and who I serve and that I was able to begin doing that well. I love that you shared the story. And I have to say that as a friend, it's really inspiring because you're vulnerable. You're always looking for the good in things and your quest for self-improvement is super motivating. And anytime I think about just like giving up or being lazy, I know 
that that's unacceptable. I know that's not a good way to live. And I think one of the reasons why I believe that now is because of our friendship. You're always pushing yourself to grow and I'm inspired by it. So thanks for sharing. Well, thanks. Well, speaking of growing and changing during challenging times, I actually made a little note this weekend before you you reached out to me about doing this podcast. I'm like, I need, you know, again, I try to be respectful of your time and I know neither one of us really like to talk on the phone. So I'm like, I haven't talked to Laurie in like two or three weeks. So maybe it's time for us to ha- schedule a call again. And I want to ask about the book. <laughs> I want to ask about the process with, you know, kind of where she's at in her business, because I feel like as we've done in this podcast, a lot of times we end up talking about me. Well, so talk about I, you. you know, I mean, you're on the <laughs> podcast because you're my guest, but thanks for asking. I guess my business is similar to yours, you know, um, I had 17 cancellations this year and that's a significant amount of money. And so the question becomes, how do I live? What do I do? What choices do I make now that I have free time, but also less capital? And right when the pandemic started to take hold is when I had hired a director of operations, Devin McGrath. And I love Devin. And this is really her first job out of college. She has a graduate degree in Irish history. So clearly she's following her passion by working for a podcaster, right? <laughs> so, Makes total sense. Yes. Anyway, I mean, liberal arts. <laughs> It's humanities. Of course, you're going to end up doing a lot of this work. But I made a commitment to Devin that I would pay her through at the very least August. And my goal was to stick with her as long as possible because I am invested in growing my business. But then I'm like, how do I pay her and maintain integrity and make sure I'm not draining the funds of my husband. And that that would drive him crazy if I were doing that, you know? So it's been, been a dance to say the least. And one of the things very early on when all these cancellations happened is that everybody wanted to pivot to the virtual world. Like, let's do a virtual summit. Let's do a webinar. Let's do this. And I actually had someone send me a note and say, I don't care what you have. I don't care how good the content is. Send it my way and we're going to run it. And I thought, I don't want to be a part of your community if those are the standards that you want my dirty laundry in the bottom of the barrel. I'm not giving that to you. And also it's not generous if you give your community the worst of my content. Like, I don't understand how that's doing your community a favor. So those were some early weird days. And I think just by sticking to my my core values, I've kind of emerged okay. I mean, I'm not super wealthy from all of this at all, but my spending is down, but I'm traveling less. You know, like I've just figured out a way to do it and I'm still able to make payroll and to pay Devin. So I'm happy about that. And I think, you know, we're obviously privileged in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, with all the things that are going on in addition to the pandemic and Black Lives Matter and the kind of racial injustices that have been brought more into the light maybe than they were in the past. There's not, you know, I don't, you laugh at me when I say I don't watch that much TV, but I don't. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dateline. <laughs> I do record 60 Minutes and I record Vice. And I don't think I've watched one of those shows recently that I've recorded. And in almost all of them, they're profiling some version of people who are either dealing with the pandemic or the racial injustice. And I end up in tears just because for all of the, you know, quote, challenges we've laughed about, you know, in my life and maybe some in yours over the last few minutes, there are so many people out there that are struggling, yes, struggling. Of like, Absolutely. And I'm so, first of all, I'm, I'm grateful for myself and my family that, that we're provided for. But it's also, it's caused me to look at ways to help. You're finding ways to channel your talents and looking at your relationships and making sure that you're staying true to your employees, myself and and you as well. I mean, we're also looking at now, how can we use some of that privilege to help other people? And I think that's 
again, looking back 10 years from now, hopefully we'll be able to say so some things began to write themselves and some people, myself included, became more aware about what we should be doing and what we can be doing and also developed a curiosity about how can I do more. And I think that'll hopefully be a good thing. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because there are friends of mine and people in our lives, right, who want to do more and just feel that they can't. And I think sometimes we belittle the small stuff because we're not out on the streets. And for me, I think so many of us undervalue the contributions we make because they're not necessarily sexy or they're not going to make it on the local news. But if you check in on a neighbor or if you're kind in a way that makes a difference for someone, or if you contribute and you say, well, I'm only giving money, but if you contribute financially because you can, that can change somebody's trajectory. So I just think we talked a lot about kindness during COVID and empathy, but we should start to reflect that more on ourselves because while many of us have not done enough work, there's always more we can do. Some of the stuff we're doing right now is pretty terrific and adds value and is game-changing. So if you've done a few different things in your community, if you've read something recently, if you've had a conversation that made you uncomfortable, these are really important things. And I don't know, I think any step forward is a good step forward. That's what I think, Jennifer. Well, and also I think it goes back to where you know, I mentioned in the beginning, just do things without asking. And again, I think it's really been made clear to me through what I've read and tried to learn through this process. I shouldn't be looking for necessarily acknowledgement of what I do. Have I sent messages to people of care and concern and support? And I've learned, I add it, no need to respond. Yeah. Because I don't want to put it on the burden on them to respond to something that I did just out of the blue. But it also, I think it's an important part of the process to say, I'm not doing it for their recognition of me doing it. I'm doing it because I truly do care. You know, whether that's to do some things anonymously or to do some things out in public, it's really important to just have the motive of just trying to do the right thing, first of all, and to help where you can, to look for ways where you can help. And I think it's, again, kind of sensitized for a lot of people that even though we might say, you know, oh, I'm not really looking for recognition or whatever, there's a piece of us like, I sent that person a, a nice email and they didn't reply. How dare them? You know, okay. <laughs> instead, you know, it's like the nice email was to thank them for what yeah. they did or not so that they have to reply to you. That's so right. No, I'm, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about how the world continues to go forward, even with the Black Lives Matter issues, even with COVID. And one of the things that has struck me is that, especially with you and your mom and a lot of my friends, there's all this injustice in the world and the crazy government. And yet families are still dealing with little tragedies, right? Or big tragedies. Your mom's getting sick. I have a girlfriend in Chicago who caught COVID. I have another girlfriend whose cousin had a heart attack and passed away. Like life is still happening. So it's important to show up for these like big global movements that are happening all over the world, but it's still really important to show up for the day to day. And that has really pushed me to get a little bit off the internet, I have to say, even though it doesn't feel like I'm off the internet, but to recognize that me getting on there and sharing the latest doomy article is not what's going to change the world. It's getting on the phone and talking to my friend who just lost her cousin. That's what's going to make a difference in the real world. So I'm, I'm trying to do more of those in-person connections. I'm also trying to talk a little bit less about I don't know, some of the stuff that's like, I've got this book coming out and I haven't quite figured out how to walk the fine line of promoting it and yet not being obnoxious in a pandemic. Well, 
that was on my list of things to ask you about. What I want to know is where are we in the book right now? I just now? want to say this, like my prevailing wisdom with this dumb book was that if the book was ever about me, I did it wrong. And yet the book has to be about me in order to get people to go, oh, she's human. She knows what she's talking about, right? So there has to be a middle thing. But I want people to read the book and see themselves in the stories that I put in the book. And so that's been really important for me as I'm in this new phase of publicity and getting blurbs and I'm doing all this marketing work to lead up to the launch. It has to be about something other than me because if it's about me, it's probably going to fail. So I went out and got some blurbs. I got a blurb from Dan Pink and Jesse Itzler and Susie Welch and my friend Cy Wakeman. So I did that. And I'm working with a marketing firm on like creating a hot list. And I'm going to work with my podcast producer on a launch team from the podcast. So all of that's going to happen. But there are still a lot of unknowns. Like how do I do a book tour in the age of COVID, right? And how do I talk about some of the stuff that I want to talk about at work now that we're talking about Black Lives Matter, right? Some of that is actually in my book around racial and social justice, but it's not like enough. So I want to make sure I include that in the conversation about the future of work. So there's there's a lot that still has to happen with that. But yeah, the book's still slated to come out on January 5th. I mean, as I've said all along, just the amount of work and effort that goes into not just the writing, I think for those of us that have not yet written a book... <laughs> And may never write a book if we can't get clear on our purpose. You know, you think about writing a book and you hear authors say it's the hardest thing they've ever done. You're like, well, you just sat in a room and you wrote, you know. No, that's the easy part. Well, I mean, I think that's hard, obviously, because I struggle with that part of it. But all of the work to really get your message out. I mean, it's called marketing, but it's really you've written the book because you have a message that you feel like will be valuable to people. And so writing the book is a very small piece of the work to actually get it seen, to have people get it in their hands, to learn from it, to use it, to share it with others. That That's a process and, you know, this traditional published process that you're a part of with turning in the book so early, in my mind, you know, months before it's actually published when really you're, you know, it's not like you get to take your foot off the gas. It's actually, you're going faster because you're doing more to make sure that the success of the launch on and before January 5th is there, including things like pre-sales and launch teams and and all that. You know, when you have a conversation with someone, you normally get a few minutes to talk to them and you get like a limited window and you have to pick and choose what you want to talk about. And for me, like I want to talk about what's going on in my marriage or I want to talk, which is good, you know, like if we're in this interesting phase right now, or I want to talk about what's happening with my brother and his chemo and now he's in radiation. And then I've also got this book thing. And so it's really awkward to try to figure out when I only have five minutes with someone, how do I update them in a way that is meaningful and also ask them how they're doing and listen and really mindfully listen. And I think it might only get more complicated as I get closer to the book launch because there's a lot going on with the book. But yet I kind of just want to talk about how I watched the show Dead to Me and I really like it, you know, and there's other stuff that's going on. So I don't know. I mean, it's going to be an awkward time. I think you'll be like every other author that I follow. You'll be all book all the time. can't. I can't. I mean, we might see a picture of a cat or something in between, but it's going to even more consume you. And I think that's to be expected. And, and that's so one dimensional. Well, but it is a huge 
piece of what 2021 will be about for you. So it is, it is. But if I have learned anything about myself, it's that if I follow, so two things, I mean, I always want to do things my way and it's the wrong way. I should just follow the established way because that's how people make money in this world, like adults. But if I follow a way that's too corporate or too formulaic or too cookie cutter, I'm not going to do well with that either because I just can't embrace it. I can't embrace the status quo. So I have to find a way to follow best practices, but make them my own. But I will tell you the thing that I've learned, the only thing that sells books is hard work. So regardless, whether I'm talking about myself or talking about my kitties or talking about my brother, I'm going to be working hard for the next 18 months. But you know what? I've been working hard for the past 45 years. It's not going to be any different. Hopefully it'll just be more impactful. Like I will change lives at scale, which is what this is about. I will start a global conversation about work in a way that I've been unable to at this point do. That'll be worth the hard work. Like whether I sell 25,000 books or 2,500 books, I don't care as long as I, well, I do care, but as long as I am changing the conversation about work and influencing the real influencers, that's important to me. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. You know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, let's just fast forward through this COVID epidemic and get to the good stuff. And I hope, you know, if that's 2021 or whatever, but I'm excited to get to the point where we're, you know, I always say friends don't let friends have free books and, and you know, maybe, maybe I'll get a free book from you, but I'm also going to buy several Aww, copies because I appreciate, I mean, I've bought so many copies of Chris Dunn and Tim Sackett's and Steve Brown's. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't really want you to do that. I'd rather have you spend money on vacation with me. I think that sounds no, better. No, I do it for a couple of reasons. Like I said, friends don't ask friends for free books is, is always my model, but I appreciate the work and I want to acknowledge that through one of the most important measures will be, you know, sales. But, you know, obviously I can't wait to get a copy of it, even if it's an early release copy in my hands. And look for my name in it. You are. You are in the book because you, and we can just quickly tell the story as we start to wrap up. You gave me, and you've given a lot of people really great wisdom around getting fired. What's that wisdom? The coolest people in the world get fired. (laughs) I think you once told me everybody good gets fired once. And I'm like, is that well, true? you know, and everybody is a strong word, but I do, you know, maybe it's because I've been there. But I think if you look around at a lot of people who are are making moves and making change, yeah, there are people who get fired for good reasons. And and I did. What is really important when we kind of joke about that, though, I think, and what I try to share with people is it's not the getting fired part that's the badge. It's what did you learn about yourself as a result of that? You know, if it's that you were unjustly fired and everybody else was, you know, in the wrong and you were in the right, really? <laughs> you know, it's like a marriage that ends in divorce. You know, there's there's usually maybe one person had more bad things than the other, but it's usually a team effort going in and out. And I think the biggest victory for me and I, and I think for the people who handle getting fired well is that you look at that and you say, what did I learn about myself? What did I learn about where I thrive, where I don't thrive? And how do I take that learning into making sure that this becomes a springboard to future opportunity rather than the thing that takes me down? And thankfully, in my case, both through some self-reflection, but in some actions that I took it turned out to be multiple victories. I'm so, you know, it's like, every, like I said, hopefully post-COVID at some point, we'll all be like, I'm so glad I went through that. I'm so glad I went through that because otherwise I would probably still be in the corporate world doing mediocre things. And now I'm doing great things. You I'm are. preparing people you- for impact, Laurie. <laughs> 
<laughs> you are. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I feel prepared for impact from this conversation. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> oh my God. I'm still never going to get over laughing so hard when you're like, guess what? <laughs> I call it prepare for impact. Nobody noticed, not even your BFF. <laughs> I did. That's I what did. matters. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Well, Jennifer, thanks for catching up with me today. As always, everybody, this podcast is produced by Danny Osmond at Emerald City Production. He also produces Jennifer's podcast, which is Impact Makers. Jennifer, when is that coming back? That is actually coming back in July. <laughs> it's part of my multi-pronged strategy to make an impact in people's lives. And one of those will be the podcast. Interviews are being recorded already as we speak. Wow. Who's coming up? I have Melanie Diesel is going to be one of the first guests. Melanie is an author and a marketer. Content Fuel is her book. And so one of the three prongs to my stool is helping people to build their authority and their expertise. And you do that through sharing content. And so I thought she'd be a good guest to talk and share her framework. Yeah, I love it. That's going to have some immediate takeaways. Everybody's going to go and start a podcast, hopefully. I hope so. (laughs) I want to be the mother of many podcasts. You be the mother of podcasts. I'll be the mother of kittens. We've got our brands. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) All right, my friend, everybody go to Impact Makers Podcast. We'll have all of Jennifer's links. We'll include the link to StoryBrand as well in the show notes. And Jennifer, thanks for being a guest on the podcast today. And thanks for being my BFF. Thank you for being in my life. 